Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start reading uh, at verse 15, we'll read down through verse 23, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 23 uh, this morning, verses 19 through 23. Before we read the Word of God and consider it, uh, let's pray together. Fathers, we come to your Word, we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives, because what we're about to do requires a miracle. None of us can leave here changed or blessed or fed unless you uh, come into our midst and take these black words written on a white page and impress them upon our hearts. So we pray that you'd write this word upon our hearts, encourage us, save the lost, edify and strengthen those of us who are saved, and build up your kingdom by this means. For Jesus' sake, amen. For this reason, Ephesians 1.15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives. I want to draw your uh, attention to verse 19 again. This is where we're going to start through the end of the chapter. That we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's where we're going to spend uh, the majority of our time together. So, beloved congregation of hope and everyone who is with us here uh, today, we're uh, in the third what. So, Paul wants us to know uh, three things. So, he wants to know about uh, our hope. He wants to know about an inheritance, worthy inheritance, how valuable we are before God. And then he wants us to know about the power that is available to Christians, the power available to us. And I want us to walk through this, noticing just two things. What power is available? What does this power look like? And then secondly, why do we need it? Why is Paul praying for this? He's praying for hope. He's praying for uh, us to know our value before God. And then he's praying that we would know the power that's available to us. Obviously, Paul thinks it's very important for us. The Holy Spirit thinks it's important. Why is it so important? So first, what power is available? And I draw your attention to verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, in this passage, Paul is heaping up word upon word. It's, it's hard to describe really what he's doing. All words about power and all words about surpassingness. I want to walk you through this immeasurable greatness of his power just briefly before we start working with it. The word immeasurable means exceeding. Just a strict definition of it is to attain a degree that is extraordinarily beyond a point of scale. So think off the charts. 
Think something that's massive. You know, if you, if you, uh, uh, when we were in college, we, we would have weightlifting charts because that was what we had to do. And there was one guy who was really strong, and we'd go do a lift that he could lift a lot on, and it was off the charts. He didn't know what to put on the bars because his ability was off the charts. That's the kind of language here. The, the kind of power that's being talked about is off the charts, catch this, greatness. <laughs> immeasurably great. So we're not talking about ordinary power. We're talking about great power already. And it's not just ordinary great power. It's off the charts great power. It's, it's immeasurable power. The word greatness has to do with bigness, hugeness, largeness. And then power. And this word power has to do with potential power or capability. The potential or the capability of accomplishing something. So Paul's wanting us to know, he's praying that we know this. The huge potential, the huge storehouses of power that are immeasurable, that are great, and that are immeasurably great. So think beyond point of scale, off the charts, no mind can even conceive how much power is available to us. When you think of power, God's power, you might be thinking, hey, 185,000 of Sennacherib's army destroyed, crossing the Red Sea. These are huge displays of power. But it's not just that kind of power. It's great power, and it's even immeasurable power. All this is available to us. It's potentially available to us. It's, it's really exceeding anything that we could even think of. And if you're saying, hey, this sounds really big, Paul, do you have an illustration of this? Well, he does. And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. The Holy Spirit would say, I'm glad you asked. Here's an illustration of what this power looks like, again, beginning in verse 19 toward the end. According to the working of his great might. So the power that's available to us is the same kind of power that he's going to describe now. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And there are particularly three things that he describes. I want to look at this. He raised Jesus from the dead. That's number one. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's second. And then thirdly, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the kind of power that's available to us. Incredible power. And Paul goes on and on and on to describe it. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we're going to get into a lot of this when we walk into chapter 2 and being united with Christ and seated in the heavenly places with him. But, but let's, let's walk through this phrase by phrase. Raise Jesus from the dead. Beloved, when God raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to us. It's the power that demonstrates that God has power over death. Now catch this, armies are powerful, right? If you, if you have a 500,000 person army, you've got a pretty powerful force. If it's a 1 million, it's extremely powerful. If it's 10 million, it's incredible. But let's say you have a 100 million person armed force ready to do battle. And they all fire off every single bullet, missile, and drop every bomb that's available to them at the same time. None of that would raise a dead sinner from the grave. None of it would. And let's say they all screamed and yelled, get up, walk, come forth, Lazarus. None of them would be able to bring a dead sinner to life. None of them would be able to raise somebody out of the grave. 
Beloved, there is no amount of human power, no amount of human ability that can bring somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life, that can bring somebody out of the grave. If there was, we'd all probably have services, right? Daily, we'd go to cemeteries and we'd get 10,000 of us together and just start shouting, get up. And they would get up and we'd go and then funerals wouldn't be so bad because we know that next week we'll just get up, to get, we'll just gather around your grave and, and shout out. Oh, beloved, we don't have power over death, but God does. And the same power, it's almost hard to conceive of, isn't it? How do you raise somebody from the dead? How, how do you do it? How do you make a heartbeat that's stopped? How do you turn a brain back on that's finished? How do you get organs to function that are over with? How do you breathe life into someone who's totally gone? Beloved, God can do it. God does do it. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. We're capable of using that same power. We have the potential of using it, God using it through us. It's available to us. Fascinating. Uh, Romans 8.11 is... A powerful verse, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit, beloved, that raised Jesus from the dead is also at work in you and me with that same power. Again, powerful verse, powerful idea that what God did in Christ, he's also doing us, catch this, not just to bring us from spiritual death to life, But that's first and foremost. But in the passage here, it's to give us power to live for God because he's speaking to those who've already been saved. That's the amazing part. Paul's primary point in Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, isn't to be talking about the power God used to bring us from spiritual death to life at our salvation, at our conversion. Although that ticked the power of God. But he's talking about the power that's now available to us as Christians And we'll look at that. We'll look at examples of that in just a moment. But very important, we have tons of power that's available to us as believers in Christ. The other thing Paul goes on to say about the power available to us is that it was demonstrated when God seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What kind of power does that take? What kind of power does it take to seat somebody over all rule and all authority? It means you have to be more powerful than nations, right? You have to be more powerful than the devil, than all the demons, than every single thing that can be named. Catch this, not only now, but also in the ages to come. Any possible, possibly conceived power or authority, God is saying when he seated Christ at his right hand, I'm over it and he's over it now. We reign over everything. The most powerful nations, the most powerful armies currently or that are yet to come, Satan and all he can devise and all of his helpers and all of his demons going at it, none of them can compare with this kind of power that God has exercised. Beloved, catch what Paul's saying. That kind of power is available to us. That, that's the astonishing thing that he's praying here. That's why this is really a mind-boggling prayer. What kind of, what does this power look like, Lord? Well, it's this kind of power. According to this kind of power, I raise Jesus from the dead, seat him in the heavenly places at, the, at, at my right hand, over above every single thing, every bit of power. And then finally, 
put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's a lot going on in this verse 23, but one of the things I want us to, to consider is this. God has given Jesus power. The kind of power available to us is this kind of power. The power that's been available to the entire Christian church. Jesus is head over it all. We're his body. He's the head. Have you ever marveled at what the, at what the Christian church has been able to accomplish in any age? Have you ever marveled at what the hands and the feet of the church, of the body of Christ, have been able to accomplish in the early church? when everything was set against the church and you've got this little guy like Paul who's not very eloquent starts walking around telling people about Jesus and Christianity spreads like wildfire all over the place. Thousands being converted by Peter's sermon. I mean, if you were going to model your preaching ministry after that, it, everything would be a failure after that, right? Wow, we got, I, I just preached about a little bit about Joel and some other things and here we got thousands of people repenting and believing. Beloved, this kind of power took place in the early church. The kind of power took place at the Reformation when the gospel was recovered and Christianity spread all over the place as well. But do you marvel at it? Catch this. That same power has been given to Christ. He's the head. He orchestrates all of it. We're the body parts doing the work, but he's the head telling the body parts what to do. That same kind of power is available to you and me. That same kind of power. Paul wants us to know this. Christ has been put as head over all things. The church is his fullness. The church is his beauty, as it were, which is an amazing concept in and of itself. God delights in us. And everything that God has done through the church since the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, put at the throne, head over the church, everything he's done is also available for us to do. Paul wants us to know this, to grasp it, to understand it. And I want us to consider something before we walk into why we need it. And it has to do with the word power in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power or potential power toward us who believe? And this is very important. The word here, dunamis, means capability or uh, potential power. It doesn't mean power that's already been affected, but potential power or capable power. Something that is possible to happen or able to happen, capable of happening. If you think in the world of athletics for a moment, potential is the most dangerous word, right? If someone says you have great potential, they're saying you're nothing now. <laughs> you've accomplished nothing now. You've achieved nothing now. Maybe in the future, potential is a dangerous word. I remember Ron Skipper's at, at, at Central College when he coached football there, he would say potential is a horrible word. He says, I want you in the way to overcome potential is to go out and do it today. Just accomplish it, achieve it. Don't, don't be satisfied with being potentially good. Go out there and do good good. And beloved, what Paul is saying here is that we have available to us. He wants us to know something. Look, Christian, you have available to you incredibly big, immeasurably great potential power. It's available to you. But if you don't use it, and if you don't pray for it, and if you don't even know that it's available, then you can live like a beggar when you have a billion dollars in your own checking account. And you can live like a spiritually poor person with tons of reserves available and, and not have a clue that it's even available. So he's saying this. And how is he tapping into this power? How is he getting them to know it? By praying, 
That's what he's doing, right? He's praying. He's praying, I'm praying that you'll come to know this. I'm, I'm bowing before God so that you'll come to this realization. Do you understand how much power is available to you, Christian? Do you, do, you, do you grasp it? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same God who seated him in the heavenlies and put him his head over all things in the church, that, that same power is available to you. It's according to that. It's not out of it. It's according to it. It's that big, that massive, that huge. I want to say this. Somebody came, I don't know who sits around and comes up with these phrases and puts them on mugs. Probably somebody in a small, uh, small hole somewhere in a desk uh, uh, just coming up with sayings. But the smallest deed is better than the greatest intention. That's, that's the way potential becomes reality. When we actually start doing something, Rather than just having these great imaginations, oh, I could do this, I could do that. When we actually start doing something, that that gets us out of the realm of potential into accomplishment. And Paul wants us to know what's available to us. Not so that we'll sit around dreaming, although dreaming's good. Thinking, what is it we should be doing? But that we won't stay there. But that we'll start actually using what God has made available to us in order to advance His kingdom. And I ask... I ask all of us here, I ask myself this this past week, how many of us are sitting around content with being potential Christians, not realizing just how valuable we are to God in the advancement of his kingdom and how much is available for us to do, how much power is available for us to use? How many of us are sitting around couch potato Christians? And, and I throw myself in the same category I throw myself in these same questions. How many of us are doing this week in and week out? Content with people saying, oh, you're, you're a nice person. You're doing really good at this. Oh, I bet you could do a great job at that. Rather than thinking, Lord, you've given us so much to do. You've given us this incredible knowledge that you pour into us all this power. How can I use it? Show me how I can use it. Put it to use in my life, Lord. Use me, even me, to do mighty things for your kingdom. Whatever that might look like, it's going to look different in all of our lives. Now you say, great, we have all this power available. Why do we need it? All this power is available, this potential power from God to us. It's available. Why do we need it? And I'm helped greatly by Martin Lloyd-Jones and his sermons on this passage. He's got like four to five sermons on just these verses, really good stuff. And he broke it down into some categories, and I'm going to use some of those categories. I think they're, they're helpful. If you can't beat them, join them, right? So I'm joining him. Here we go. Why do we need this power? Number one, to break old habits. Beloved, when... The Christians in Ephesus came to faith in Christ. There was no churchy people to go hang out around. This was a pagan city worshiping uh, the god Diana. They made their trade by silversmithing a lot of them. There was a huge uproar, a riot. There's no easygoing Christianity in the midst of this. They were used to going to the same temple to worship the same gods, whatever that might have looked like. And now enter Christ. Enter Paul and his preaching. We've got lives turned upside down. We've got Christians saying, let's burn all these books. We don't need this anymore. We've got people jumping whole hog into Jesus Christ, but they've got all their bad habits. And you know as well as I do that some habits die quickly, some, some die slow. I remember a believer in, in Springfield. He came to faith and his drug addictions died overnight. That's, it's amazing. 
He became a new person spiritually, but almost physically. Like drugs, gone. Drunkenness, finished, instantly. The desire for it left. Now that's just God's incredible grace, because he'd been trying to be off with his stuff for years. Sometimes that happens. But beloved, here's what many times happens as well. That we're brand new creations the next day, and we wake up with the same old temptations. And we wake up with the same body that loves those things that we're craving. And it doesn't just die away tomorrow or next week or next year. And beloved, this power of God is available in us, to us, to indeed fight those old habits, to break down those old habits so that none of us ever have to think, you know what, next year I'm going to be going back to the same vomit pile that I threw up today. Next year I'm going to be going back to the same manure pile that I'm at right now. No, beloved, here's something amazing. We actually don't have to. Now, there will be some sins that we'll have till the day we die. Paul was an apostle 20 years. He wrote, the good, the good, the good I would, I don't do. The evil I hate, I keep on doing. Like, we understand there's recurrent sins. None of us are going to arrive at perfection. It's, it's not going to happen in this life. But, beloved, there is incredible power available to us to resurrect us out of the habits of our sin and set us on a new path. So, so let me ask you before we walk into the next one, what, what are some of those old sinful habits that you have that I have that we really need to be done with, that we'd like to be done with or that we should like to be done with? How many of us are praying that God gives us the strength to be done with them? Not like a prayer a month, Lord, you know, deliver me out of this, but asking like we're starving for bread. Father, I need to be done with this. Father, you need to show up and help me. Lord, I am too weak to do this. I need your help daily crying out to the Lord because we're in anguish over our sin, its horrible effects, and the ways that it destroys our relationship with God, our fellowship with him, our closeness with him. Because beloved, God will give us the strength. He has all this power available. Are you using it? Am I using it to break our old sinful habits? Well, you might say, well, prove that God has power to overcome sinful human habits. He proved it in the incarnation of Jesus, right? (laughs) We as humans have a really bad habit of coming into the world sinful and guilty. (laughs) We've been doing ever since Adam and Eve, ever since Cain and Abel came into the world. We've got this horrible habit that we pass on to our kids of being conceived in sin. And God broke this habit because he brought Christ into the world, not conceived in sin, not guilty before him. So God proves, beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ that he has power to get us out of these old habits. He's proven it in the Lord Jesus Christ. So go to him, run to him, cry out to him, be straight up honest with God. Because, beloved, he's not fooled by our appearances before other people. God knows what we're wrestling with. He knows the truth. And the best thing we can do is say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm I'm in need of help. Help. Rescue me from myself. We also need God's power to overcome the world's influence upon us. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are bombarded every day by the relentless pressure of the world around us, society around us, the small communities we live in, to conform. Get in line. 
That's why Paul can say, don't be conformed to this world. What is he getting at? Well, the world's trying to conform us, to put us in a box, to say, live this way and we'll love you. Step out of the box, step out of conformity with this, and we'll hate you. And beloved, in any society that we live in, whether it be Chicago, it's going to look different. Pella's different. Lighton's a little bit different. Beijing, China's different. Every Every community has the box they're trying to put people in saying, do this and you'll live. Do this and we'll like you. Conform to this. Beloved, there's peer pressure to make politics our God. To keep up with the Joneses. To buy the latest gadgets. To go on you know, incredible vacations. To be in the best shape. To get the most friend- likes. and uh, like Some of you young people know more about this than I do. I'm kind of off the technological bandwagon at this point. But Facebook, Instagram. Who likes me? Who doesn't like me? How can I get more followers? To have a house that's decorated and clean just perfectly. To have our clothing and appearance be just perfect. Beloved, the world says, do this. Get in line with this. Live for this. Make this your God. Get up every day to satisfy everybody around you and get their praise. Make that your God and idol. Beloved, you and I, why do we need power? Because if we don't have God's power with us, we're going to do just that. That's the most sobering, humbling part. If we don't have God's power working in us, beloved, you and I are going to wake up as Christians, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to idolize the things of the world, and we're going to live no different than non-Christians in so many ways. And we're going we're gonna to be frustrated on account of it. We're going to be despairing on account of it. And we're going to be discouraged on account of it. And Paul wants us to know something. You've got power available to not live like that. Prove it, God. Well, Jesus Christ proved it. Don't fear the world. I've overcome the world, right? John 16. Don't walk through this life scared. Don't think I'm afraid of the direction that the world is going because I'm afraid it's going to suck me up into it. Beloved, Jesus Christ has overcome the world. You and I don't have to be scared to wake up tomorrow. You and I can have kids tomorrow. You and I can have a a good hope for the future tomorrow because God's reigning over it and Jesus Christ has overcome the world and says, don't be afraid of these things. We've got to be wise. We've got to start thinking carefully. We've got to start living in a way that glorifies God. But we don't have to be scared of these things. It's watching Jesus on on the cross is amazing, I think, for, for conquering just this fear of the world. Matthew 27, beginning at 39, I'll just read the passage and consider it. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, no, this is, this is the world deriding Jesus. This is the same influence that influences you and me, but they're doing it to Jesus on the cross. Wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross, conform. You say you're great. You said you can resurrect this temple in three days. Prove it. Get in line. Follow our rules, Jesus, because then we'll worship you. Then we'll praise you. Beloved, praise God, he didn't come down. He overcame the world because if he came down, there is no salvation. All of us are damned. All of us are hopeless. There's no eternal life for anyone. But he stayed. The world says, come down and you're somebody. But Jesus knew, come down and I'm nobody. Stay here, undergo the Father's wrath, then I'm the Savior of the world, then, then people are saved, then God is glorified. So, beloved, you and I undergo this same temptation. If you're wondering where you're going to get the staying power to resist the world, look at Jesus on the cross. He stayed. He didn't come down. He didn't conform for you. 
for me so that we could have eternal life. So when the world comes pounding into your life through social media, through whatever it is the case, and says conform or else and makes you pay and suffer, just stay where you are. Don't fall into it. Cry out to God and ask him for strength. That power is available to you. Why else do we need the power? Because of our passions. Uh, other passages speak about uh, the passions of the flesh. Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion. And then 1 Peter two eleven, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, the word passion here isn't just the word for desire. It's actually, it's got a prefix to it. It's hyper desire or super desire. It's not, desires are good, but when we want something too much, then all of a sudden we run into a lot of sin. That's the word behind passions. It's too much desire. Put it to death. The too much desire that we have inside of us actually wages war against our souls. It's actually doing a spiritual harm when we allow ourselves to be thrown around by our passions. And beloved, our flesh wants things, but it doesn't just want things. If you, if you have a gauge on yourself, you'll find that you really want things. That there's some things that your flesh, your body, your skin, your desires tell you, you need to have this now. You, you can't live without this. And daily, day by day, your flesh continues to tell this, I really want this. No, you don't, I really want this. This is going to make me feel better. This is going to bring me genuine comfort. This is going to make you somebody. Beloved, we need power to do battle against that. That's how we come into the world. We come into the world with these passions. And Paul says, put it to death. Like, kill it. Don't try and navigate it. Kill it. Strangle it. Be done with it. It wages war against our soul. Beloved, there's power to do battle against the passions of our flesh. There's power. God has it available for us. So we can actually tell ourselves, I heard this years ago, I think it's so helpful, we can tell ourselves, no, you need to go do this. No, I don't. You need to have this. No, I don't. You need to engage in this kind of sin. It'll make you feel better. No, I don't. And no, it won't. Beloved, that kind of power is available to us, not in and of ourselves. Let, no one, let not one of us leave here thinking, oh, I've got, I've got my life under, under control. I'll be able to resist. No, not without God. Not without the power of God working in you. Beloved, all of us are going to fall flat on our face the moment we leave here unless God's working in us. So go to him in prayer again. It's seeking him. All that power is available. The question is, are we even asking God to pour it out upon us? Are we seeking him? Because we're so tempted, aren't we, to dig into our own storehouses. There's nothing there. You actually have to go to the storehouse in heaven, go to God and say, can I get from that storehouse? So it's, it involves humility. Lord, I can't do this. It involves a pleading, Father, help. And then it involves a receiving, Lord, just give. And God gives, and he helps, and he gives us power. And one more thing I'd like us to look at before we conclude, and that's Satan's influence. I'm sure most of us realize this. Satan is not our friend. He's not a friend who just has one bad day after the next, but he's going to come out of this. He doesn't like us. He hates us, and he wants to fill hell with us. Satan would love nothing more than if every single human being, every single soul here was in hell with him, suffering for all eternity. And something else, he's more powerful than us in and of ourselves. He's more powerful. 
If you go head to head with Satan, you will lose every time. If I go head to head with Satan, it's over. It'd be like having Spike Lee go into a boxing ring with Muhammad Ali. Like just stop the fight before it even starts. Or if, if you're a track fan lining up next to Usain Bolt, the world's fastest man. If anybody in this room lined up against him, don't even, don't even let the starter say go. It won't matter. The race is over before it even starts, beloved. That's you and me in a ring with Satan. He's more powerful than any human being. He has sway over us. The life of Job proves it. He can do whatever God allows him to do to Job, to his possessions, and also to his person. And he's called an adversary. He's not our friend. He's our enemy. He prowls around seeking whom he may devour. He wants to crush us. And beloved, there is only one way that you and I are going to be able to do battle against Satan and end up victorious. And that is with the power that God has available to us in order to do battle against him. You say, how do I know God has enough power? Number one, God kicks Satan out of heaven. God reigns over Satan. I love that passage in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God proved at the cross, I'm more powerful than you are, Satan. Satan, you had this perfect plan thinking you'll kill Jesus and then you win. And then actually it's, it's going to be the, the head of the serpent that's actually going to win and crush the head of the, the, the seed of the woman. But Satan wasn't smart enough to see that what he was devising, entering into Judas to get Judas to betray Jesus so Jesus could go to the cross and be crucified. Satan wins. He wasn't smart enough to see that if Jesus dies on the cross and pays for the wrath of God, that Jesus wins, that God wins. That's, that's exactly what God wants. He's not smart enough to see that. In other words, God is more powerful than Satan, beloved. He's more powerful. So if we're going to go head-to-head with Satan, and beloved, I hope you realize that every day you're going head-to-head with him. You're going head-to-head with demonic forces. You can't see them. Our battle is against flesh and blood. I like to say Satan isn't five foot six tall that you can punch him in the face, put him in handcuffs, and throw him in jail. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against him and his powers and his demons that hate you, that hate your guts, that want to see you in hell, and it's a battle. Beloved, you're not going to do well in this battle, and neither am I unless we're crying out to God saying, Lord, I need strength. And that power is there, the potential power. Paul wants us to know this. Let me conclude by saying this. D.A. Carson put it so well. Paul cannot be satisfied with a brand of Christianity that is orthodox but dead, rich in the theory of justification, but powerless when it comes to transforming people's lives. Beloved, it's so easy to hear the gospel week in and week out, justified, set right before God, and then leave thinking, God's taking care of it all. There's nothing left for me to do. No, that's not Christianity. Beloved, God has taken care of everything. We're justified. And now he says, now go to war. Enter the battle. Pick up the stuff and start fighting. Like that, That's the Christian life. Get busy fighting this fight. God fought the fight. We couldn't fight. He defeated Satan. Satan's defeated. His days are numbered. Now you get in the ring too and you start fighting. Whatever that looks like for each of us, it's going to look different. But start fighting against the world, the flesh, the devil, and start going to town asking God for power to do just that. One more thing. Don't let the storehouse of God sit full. Drain it every day. 
Don't let the storehouse of God's power sit full 100%. When's the last time anybody draw it off of it? Oh, weeks ago, months ago. Drain it, beloved, every day. Drain it through prayer. Drain it through going to God and saying, Father, give me this power so that I can be useful in your kingdom, growing into the image of Christ and having a life that's a powerful testimony to those who are lost and need to know the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.